Okay, you guys, we have a few minutes for questions. I have some questions here. We may be uh, receiving some more. Let's see, are we in the light? I, no, I can't see the camera, guys. Let's say we are. We're standing fine. So, uh, so let's start, Kate, with you. Ves Popov wanted to, as you were performing, Ves asked, are we live training a dancer visualization algorithm on stage right now? And I guess the answer is the reverse. Right. Um, the algorithm is training the dancer, yes. Um, so it's not a live um, training, but I've used an algorithm to create a performance score. Um, so it's the T-SNE score that um, Jean was talking about. Um, with 3,000 images of, um, that were previously taken of me dancing, um, that it reorganizes. Um, so the movement um, becomes transformed by the algorithm, and then there's the extra layer of interpretation by the dancer. So, so what you were, so you, let's see, you were looking at one of those maps, and you were, as you were selecting different images, the sound also changed, and she was reacting to them from the screens in, in real life. Real so time. she was reacting. The um, yeah. sound in this piece actually is not reactive. The sound is not reactive. <laughs> yeah. It was very hard to tell, but it was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think, yes, it must have been, uh, uh, Alex, while you were speaking, Anadev Dariani asked, you can potentially play an abstract painting. And actually now, with all of these performances or, or, or presentations, I'd like to ask that of all of you, if I say, how would you go about playing an abstract painting. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Like, how would you approach that? Let's start with you, Alex. Um, yeah, so there's all different ways. That there's definitely no right or wrong way to do it. It's something that's interested me for a while. I, uh, I, I learned recently about, you know, um, painters like Kandinsky, and people have been trying this forever. Like, there's all sorts of painters that have been, you know, inspired by music and translating music to visuals. And so it's definitely an interpretive kind of thing. Um, we, we tried one thing where, you know, you could actually doodle kind of like similar to Jean's project and actually have your drawings turn to music. Um, so it's kind of a neat uh, thing, but it's definitely a creative exercise. There's no like scientific translation of like what a painting would definitely sound like. So it's kind of a creative thing. Jean, how would you, where would you begin with an abstract painting? Yeah, there's a lot of ways and yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, those, those are all probably, I think, like the best ways maybe. There's also like more, I suppose weirder ways that you can maybe kind of use some of these generative models that could either produce, you could have them trained to produce paintings or maybe take them as inputs. So I've had students, for example, take a collection of paintings by a particular artist and train like pics to pics to go from the sketch of it. So like maybe they'll, train, they'll make a sketch of it and then pair it with a painting and then use many of those and then train it so that it takes sketches and then generates an abstract painting in that style. Maybe that's like one way to add to the pot. <laughs> and uh, Kate, how would you play an abstract painting? Yeah, I think um, I would also be interested in something generative. Um, and then um, I'm also interested in the human still having agency in the end. <laughs> um, so it wouldn't be directly like, oh, here's a generative painting. Um, it would have to be then somehow interpreted by a person again, um, usually through movement, because um, that's my medium. But um, yeah, so generative, but also have human agency as the final product, yeah. That's lovely. I'm realizing you do have your back to this whole section. Oh, sorry, sorry. Let's just move down here a little bit. I'm sorry, you guys. So, uh, so even though we were all in different ways talking about music and code, um, or creativity and code as well, of course, visualization is very key to, to everything that you guys are doing. And I, I started thinking during your performance, uh, Kate, about about the power dynamics, the power relationships. Uh, after a while, you start thinking very much about this human who, who is enslaved 
to this, uh, to this choreography. And then I started to realize, oh, but of course, then that's, that's what choreography is. Like, literally, of course, the dancers always are following these instructions. And this is, why does this feel different? Uh, and there was something, th th those are questions that I have never asked myself, I don't think, watching contemporary dance. Uh, so my question to all of you is, what has become visible to you? What have you become aware of working in these ways with visualizations? Yeah, it's really interesting um, that, yeah, this theme of agency has come up over and over for me, um, because actually, yeah, Phoebe has the final say. Um, <laughs> she could actually, um, you know, not respond to the images. That's a, like a choice she can make um, during the performance. And so this importance of agency when we're you know, using these algorithms and how we can actually, um, you know, interject ourselves into algorithms, um, which we've heard other people talk about today, um, but this would be, yeah, specifically in this, you know, choreographic context. Mm. Yeah, and of course that means that there's this whole other system that is the system of, of the power relationship between the humans that controls whether or not she will rebel and how difficult it is to refuse an instruction in front of all of us while we're sitting there waiting for her to do the thing in the image. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's super interesting. Uh, what about you, Alex? What's, what's become visible to you? Um, I think just the way that it's amazing how visual people are. I guess I've realized, you know, putting, you know, really simple things in front of people, especially when it comes to music, um, just kind of opens people's eyes and they can suddenly ask questions that I think they would have felt like unqualified or like I don't understand sound or I don't understand music, but suddenly like, and a lot of what, what Gene's doing is making some of these really advanced math concepts more accessible. I think it's amazing how much a little bit of visual um, work can suddenly make the whole thing seem really approachable. And I think the same thing with like performance, like, you know, there's a big difference between seeing a performance versus like reading a machine learning research paper. So I think all these things <laughs> of like, of like getting just hopefully enticing more people to be interested in demystifying the technology is just a win all around. So especially through visuals, I think visuals can do a lot of that demystifying work for people. And it's also because I assume we could also use this in music training mm -hmm. uh, to help people understand theory and, and that like, to the abstraction level of music, especially with younger kids who are sometimes struggling with the abstract levels, and that's when you start to learn. That's fantastic. What about you, Jean? What's become visible to you? Uh, I would kind of maybe build on what Kate started talking about. So like with agency, that's a common theme in, in terms of, uh, well, how to construct these, because there's a tendency especially early on when, when these things are very new, to kind of treat them like a, like a magic box. You know, just kind of blow some fairy dust in it and it will <laughs> make some sort of a crazy image. But then there's also a lot of ways to kind of make these, make these tools more assistive and, and kind of uh, you know, more, more compositional assistant or maybe, the, maybe part of your toolkit if you're, you know, if you're creating stuff with, with software. And um, there's kind of a design process that goes into finding the right way to, to, to mix, them, mix those two up, you know, full agency to the, to the creator and, and sort of the, the mind of the, the algorithm itself, um, which is not always obvious, but it's, but it's something that I think is late to the game is starting to become more, of a, more relevant now. Um, a lot of the research is, is trying to figure out ways of, so that you can parameterize these magic boxes and kind of bend them to your will. I guess this all also ties into this, to the previous session, and talking about like, who should be in the conversation about AI. And I think that at least you're all demonstrating that artists of all kinds should definitely be in these conversations. So, and I guess like, we're also realizing that all citizens should be in it uh, in some way. Uh, what are your recommendations? I mean, we have your full list of sources. We know where you want us to begin. What would you guys say? Where, where should we start? 
um, in terms of other people working in this field? Or like, where would we start approaching this? If we've just had our mind blown and felt like we want to <laughs> learn something, but we don't quite know where to begin. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of choreography, there's um, actually not a lot happening in this space. Um, there's a few um, people who are doing things. Um, Wayne McGregor actually has an AI agent that he uses in his rehearsal studios. You never see it on stage, um, but it is something he uses to help him develop choreography. Um, he's probably like the biggest name in dance who is investigating AI in that kind of way. What about you, Alex? Um, yeah, I mean, the more I learn about machine learning and, and through, through resources like genes, the more I realize that at its base level, it's basically mathematics and a lot of statistics. So I feel like to get more people involved in the conversation, um, and it's not as advanced conceptually as you'd think. So I think just, just resources like genes, and there's a lot of great videos online now where people are trying to teach basic machine learning concepts. And when you actually sit down and watch one, it's actually not as... Um, crazy as it seems when you use the term AI. It's really these statistical models. I think getting that kind of educational material will just help get more, more kinds of people um, interested in it that might have been intimidated when they hear you know, or, or read the title of a research paper. It sounds pretty crazy, but yeah. it's actually pretty fun once you start digging in. That's fantastic. Uh, um, Gian, I'm, uh, last question. I'm going to limit you to probably like a two-word answer. Okay. Because we are out, out of time. Okay. <laughs> so you said, in the future, we will be able to see anyone's face and voice uh, generated on video doing absolutely anything. And I think we should remind people of how, how far in the future is the future. When do you think we're going to see that looking pretty convincing? Can I put a qualifier in two words? Uh, okay. <laughs> is, it, it depends on... Like, Not, it doesn't have to be convincing in a court of law, but let's say convincing enough to, to make a shitstorm on the internet. Okay. Oh, to make a shitstorm on the internet? Um, like this week. Um, because, this uh, week. <laughs> because actually, yeah, if you search for a company called Lyrebird, and that's L-Y-R-E-B-I-R-D, they just put out a video that, that shows them basically mimicking like a realistic looking Obama. There we are. Um, with the voice and, and, and yeah, and, it's, and it had made a shitstorm on the internet, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it Perfect. And they, and they actually have a demo that lets you do it with your own voice. It's, it's crazy, creepy. There we are. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Alexander Chen, Kate Sikio, and Jean Kogan. Oh, thank, you. thank you very much.